Yo, what's up, guys? Um, welcome back for the third episode of Top Waffler. I just want to start off by saying um, thank you to anyone that showed support by following the Instagram page or by listening to the podcast. It means a lot. The support, the positivity, the positive feedback, everything is very overwhelming. And um, it's just, it's something that's great to see for me. It makes me want to keep doing this. And your guys' support was awesome. So thanks for that. And hopefully the support keeps growing and the podcast keeps growing as well. So for for this week's episode, um, we're going to talk about, obviously, the Stanley Cup playoffs, recapping the round two predictions, and also taking a look at predictions for round three. We'll then go into the NBA playoffs, so kind of like a mid-round recap of round two, and then talk about a preview for the Raps, Celtics, possibly game five, six, seven now. It's the best out of three. And then we'll end off with um, the predictions for the Premier League starting on Saturday, September the 12th. So it's coming up really quick. And what I'm going to try and do this week too is I'm going to try and include timestamps. So if there's certain parts you're more interested in listening to than others, uh, you can just skip to those. And um, if not, I mean, I've given you a rundown of what we're going to be talking about and what order it's in. So just forward through and find it. But um, hopefully the timestamps should work. I don't know how they'll appear on Spotify. But in case they don't, I'll include them also as an Instagram post. So you'll know the kind of like the exact timing of when the topic will start. But yeah, so let's get into the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs first. I mean, the second round ended. I went two for four on my predictions for the correct teams. And I got none of the games right, except for the Flyers, Islanders, but I had the wrong team. So, I mean, that doesn't matter. So, yeah, I had Vegas in six. It was Vegas in seven. And credit to Vancouver, man. They performed. They played their asses off. Thatcher Demko especially. Uh, just crazy from game five to seven. They, like in the last two games, Vegas only beat him once on over a hundred something shots as well. Two goals on him in a hundred something shots through three games. It's just insane, man. It was crazy how good he played. And I wonder if that impacts Vancouver at all in their decision to bring back Jacob Markstrom or do they wanna do they want to um give Thatcher Demko the starting the starting role? But either way, Vancouver should be extremely like Canucks fans, you should be extremely proud of the way your team played. Um uh, after game one, I thought it was going to be done in four. After game three, I thought it'd be done in five, even though my prediction was six. And um, the fact that you guys took it to a seven and held it as a zero-zero tie as well until like the last like six minutes or so of the third period. Extremely proud of yourselves for the way your team played against an insane team in Vegas. And then um, the other series in the West, I had Colorado in five. And that was extremely off. Uh, obviously, Grubauer being hurt played a big role in that. Um, goaltending wasn't the greatest. And the game seven was just crazy. I mean, lead changes within the, within the last three minutes to Dallas. Uh, Colorado takes the lead initially. Dallas ties it literally 10 seconds later. And this guy, Kibby Ranta, I think his name is. Kibby Ranta. No, Kibby Ranta. Yeah, Kibby Ranta scores a hat trick in game seven. That's only like his second game of the playoffs. His other game was like the one against the Flames in game six, and he had an assist. So he's played two elimination games, and he has four points. That's that's crazy. Like, um, that's crazy that he did that. This guy comes in as a – he's been a healthy scratch. You know, he comes in because Cogliano's injured and he scores a hat trick. Just um, crazy scenes. And, uh, like, I, I really wanted Colorado to win that so we could see Colorado Vegas because, like, it's uh, that'd be an adrenaline-filled series for sure. And um, Dallas, uh, it's they're not the most exciting team, but they have scored a lot of goals. So, you know, I could just be basing that based on, a, like, a bias, a stereotype on them. And um, – you know, they took game one yesterday, too, against Vegas. So they're, they're, they're looking like the real deal. And um, so, I like, I, I wear that one on my – I take that one with my hands up high. I'd call her out on five, extremely wrong, because Dallas took it in seven. And then, obviously, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in the last episode. I had the Lightning in seven, but they won in five games. So I'm obviously wrong on that one for the amount of games. And then the other one I had was the Flyers in seven. And I'm kind of glad they didn't win because I, I actually like the Islanders as a story. You know, John Tavares left them in the summer of 2018. Yeah, since he left in the two years, the Islanders have won four series. 
and the Leafs have won nothing. And the Islanders have gone further without him than they did ever with him. So it's pretty cool. And um, so, yeah, they took it in seven. So all the teams that blew a 3-1 lead, so Vegas, Dallas, and the Islanders all had 3-1 leads and had chances to end it in five and six. They all end up getting the job done in seven anyways. But um, three game sevens is obviously extremely exciting. And um, hopefully we get game sevens in the conference finals too because that would be pretty cool. But yeah, so overall for round two, I went two for four in terms of the correct teams, and those were Vegas and Tampa. I didn't get Dallas, and I didn't get the Islanders. But um, yeah, good on them for advancing, especially the Islanders. It'd be a cool story if they go into the Cup Finals. So now uh, I guess we'll get into the predictions for the Conference Finals and um, for the East. You know, I have it all written down here on piece uh, on notebook and. Comparing the lineups, especially because like right now Stamkos is injured for Tampa, and yesterday it was announced by John Cooper, the Tampa Bay head coach, that he will not play in the Eastern Conference Final. So judging by daily faceoff, um, they have Tampa as running, it looks like an 11-7 because Luke Shen, the defenseman, is listed as a right winger on the fourth line. So my assumption is they're just going 11-7. and seven. And I mean, yeah, their lines are really good. Like Polak, Point, and Kucherov. Point and Kucherov are the two best forwards in this series. And arguably, you could say they're the two best forwards still left in the playoffs, especially with Nate McKinnon getting eliminated. So that's that's an insanely talented first line. And Polak's just a good utility player. You know, he can fit in with the skill guys, and he provides a little bit of defensive, um, defensive acumen and defensive awareness. Second line, extremely underrated, Anthony Sorelli. Tyler Johnson and Kalorn, you know, solid guys that produce. Uh, their third line, Barkley, Goudreau, Yanni Gord, and Blake Coleman. So two trade line acquisitions, trade deadline acquisitions. And um, Yanni Gord, who came kind of out of nowhere, I think it was two years ago. And then this year, he uh, was the start of his big contract, I want to say. Could be wrong there. But, you know, it's a solid third line. Uh, and... It's it shows the depth they have because then their fourth line is Patty Maroon, Cedric Paquette, and then they have Luke Shen listed there as right winger, but I'm assuming he's just there as a seventh D rotating in and out. And I mean Maroon and Paquette are third liners, right? So you if for you to have them on your fourth line, you have a lot of good depth there. And then you compare that to the Islanders forward group. So Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, and Jordan Everlay are their first line. Barzell's a superstar. Yeah, he's extremely good. Lee's putting up some good numbers this playoffs too. And Everly as well. He's playing really well. Um, Beauvillier, Nelson, and Bailey is their second line. Their third line, Broussard, J.G. Pedro, who I really wish the Flames had acquired. Uh, and they had Mike Dalcol playing there. Uh, Lee, Dalcol subbed in for Leo Komarov. I'm not sure if that was an injury or performance-based substitution, but that's worth noting. And um, then the fourth line, Arguably one of the best fourth lines in hockey, Matt Martin, Casey Sezikas, and Cal Clutterbuck. So comparing the forward groups, I mean, Tampa has got the two best forwards in Point and Kucherov, and then Barzell's right up there as well. They're both well-rounded. They both got depth. Um, I'd favor Tampa Bay strictly because they have Point and Kucherov. And if Stamkos did return, I mean, you can make the clear argument there. But uh, since he's not returning, it's a lot closer. The Tampa Bay has two game breakers, whereas the Islanders really only have one. Their power plays are pretty even too. I mean, Tampa's running 17.1% in the playoffs. The Islanders are running 17% on the dot. So offensively, and then the this is a bit of a surprise though. The Islanders are scoring really a lot. They're scoring 3.38 goals per game um, compared to Tampa's three on the dot. So, I mean, while I'm giving the edge to Tampa and forwards, it's not to say the Islanders like have terrible forwards. No, they're good, and they got good depth. But just comparing them on a player-by-player basis, I would take Tampa Bay over them for forwards. Um, comparing their defense, and this is really interesting. Um, so Tampa is running Hedman, Bogosian, McDonough, Eric Cernak, Mikhail Sergachev, and Kevin Shattenkirk. And Jan Ruta is injured. I'm not sure if he falls in, though, in that lineup when healthy because that's a pretty good group of six there. Sergachev and Shattenkirk on your third pairing is pretty good. And Bogosian kind of being carried by Hedman, you know. Hedman's the number one D in the league, one of the best D, so he can do his job. And McDonough on the second pair holding it down with Eric Chernak. 
Uh, it's pretty good. You know, that's a solid top six. That's a cup-winning top six for sure. And then you compare that to the Islanders. It's uh, they got Pellick and Ryan Pollock, uh, Devin Taves and Scott Mayfield as their top four. And if you're just a casual fan who's not actually really into hockey that much, you would hear those four names. And besides maybe Ryan Pollock, none of those four names are household names, but they should be. Uh, the Islanders' defensive core is vastly underrated, and part of the reason for why they play stellar defense is their coach, Barry Trotz, but their players are good too. And then you add in the fact that their third pair is Nick Letty and Andy Green, their trade deadline acquisition. They're also deep. They don't. They might not necessarily have like the solid number one Norris winning D. Well, they don't. They don't have the solid Norris winning D in Victor Hedman. But they're well-rounded. You know, those three pairings, you're not afraid to throw any of them out, like Nick Letty, uh, I don't know, the. I guess the, the bias around him would be he's not as good defensively, but I think he is. And um, but playing with Andy Green, like you wouldn't be afraid to have that pairing out against any of Tampa's top lines or top players. And I think the well-rounded decor here, it's, it's quite even. If I had to pick, I would pick Tampa's just because of Victor Hedman, but it is quite even. And... Um, if you compare their defensive stats, like their PK again, it's very similar as, as is their power play. Um, Tampa's running at 81.3% and the Islanders are 82.2%. So they're, they're separated by like a percentage point. So it's very similar. Their goals against per game. I mean, the Islanders are letting in 1.94. So less than two goals a game, whereas Tampa is letting in 2.31. So um, the Islanders have the advantage there on having a better goals for and goals against than, than Tampa Bay. But, um, like these stats don't matter too much because now you're going head to head. So it's, it's going to be how you perform against one another. Your performance against other teams doesn't really matter too much, but um, nonetheless, that's, it's interesting to see that the Islanders have better goals for and better goals against. And then the goaltending, I mean, I don't know, but uh, who's Tampa or who's the Islanders starting in game one. They went with Thomas Grace in game seven and he got a shutout. If I'm if I'm the coach there, if I'm Barry Trotz, you run with Thomas Grace again, like no doubt. But Varlamov also played majority of the playoffs before that. So do you insert who was technically your number one guy, or do you go with the guy that that got you there in Thomas Grace? Because Varley led in a couple of softies, I think, in games five and six against Philly, where where they clawed back from three one to make it three three which is what led the Islanders to go to Thomas Grace in game seven. So it'll be interesting. But I mean, either of those guys, they're not Andre Vasilevsky, who Tampa has a net. Vasilevsky's a star and one of the best goalies in the league. So goaltending wise, you give the advantage starter wise to Tampa. But if there's an injury to Vasilevsky, Curtis McElhaney steps in and not to say McElhaney is a slouch, but I don't. He's not as good as Varlamov or Grace, but he's he's right there with them. But he's not as good as them. So if an injury does happen to Vasilevsky and you got to run with McElhenney, I think the advantage shifts over to the Islanders for goaltending. So just running through that, I've given the advantage, slight advantage on everything pretty much to Tampa Bay. The only thing I have, I, th- uh, I think the Islanders get a, a, a good advantage in is the head coach Barry Trotz. Uh, like praise this guy literally every episode so far and I'll continue to do so he's just he's a good coach man he's a really good coach future hall of fame coach for sure and not to say John Cooper's a bad coach but he's just like he's not on Barry Trotz's level yet you know he's not won a cup yet they could win the cup this year and he could get there but as of now I'd give the advantage to Barry Trotz for sure and it's going to be a close series and I hope it is a close series um uh, I'd like it'd be nice if the Islanders win and they go to the cup finals. But I mean, you have the potential for a juicy cup final here of uh, two powerhouse teams. So I'm going to stick with my prediction of having them and them meet in the, in the finals. So I'm going to say Tampa in six Tampa Bay wins in six games to go to the Stanley cup final. And uh, I hope I'm I hope I'm right because it'd be entertaining. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it go the other way and seeing the Islanders win because it'd make for a good story. Barry Trotz would get to the Cup final two years after winning his first Cup. 
two years after John Tavares leaves the Islanders to go to Toronto, the Islanders get to the cup finals, whereas Toronto hasn't even made it out of the first round. And this year, they didn't even make it out of the qualifying round. So lots of good um, storylines if the Islanders win. And if Tampa wins, you have the possibility of them playing Vegas, which would be a star-studded and exciting Stanley Cup final. So now, I mean, I've pretty much hinted at what my prediction is going to be for the West, but we'll go through it too, like how we just went in depth with the uh, Tampa New York Islanders series. And um, so looking at the lines on daily faceoff, I know Ryan Reeves is suspended for one game because of the hit to Tyler Mott in game seven. And man, that sucks for Vancouver. You had a five minute power play and you like I barely mustered up a shot. No like really good scoring chance on that power play. But uh but yeah, um so their first line Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson, and Mark Stone. Followed by the their misfits line, like from the cup run they had two years ago, Marchiso, Carlson, and Riley Smith. Running a third line of Alex Tuck, Paul Stastny, and Nicholas Waugh. And then their fourth line is Will Carrier, Thomas Nosek, and Ryan Reeves, but obviously Reeves suspended for game was suspended for game one, which was played yesterday. I did not look at who took a spot, and I don't really care to either. I'm gonna assume Reeves draws back in for game two. So you compare that to Dallas's forward lineup. They in game two against Calgary is when they reunited their big boys, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, and Alex Radulov, and they've been pretty good. And then their second line. Matthias Janmark, Joe Pavelski, and Dennis Gurianov. I know Janmark was uh, questionable yesterday. I don't know if he played or not. Um, him and Kogayanov both took the skate as the Kiviranta. I don't know who slotted in or who didn't, but that's what their second line's listed uh, on daily faceoff. So that's what I'm going off of. Um, their third line, Jason Dickinson, Rupe Hintz, who's fast as fuck, man, and uh, Corey Perry. And then the fourth line was uh, Kiviranta, who got the hat trick in game seven. Radic Foxa, who's a really good defensive center, and Blake Como, a good checking energy winger. And yeah, like it's 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 evenly matched. Uh Vegas seems to be faster on paper with their top two lines. Um I'd say if I had to pick overall the best forward, it'd be Mark Stone, followed by Tyler Sagan, comparing the two forward groups. Uh I'd give it to Vegas though offensively. Um just because Dallas was a low-scoring team in the regular season, and I know they're scoring at a high rate right now. And, I mean, the comparison's right here. They're scoring 3.31 goals for per game, whereas the Vegas Golden Knights are at 3.27 goals for per game. So it's close, right? And uh, I'd give the edge to Vegas, but it's a slight edge. It's a very slight edge. Um, They are even, like, their fourth line's are completely different. The Vegas fourth line is more of a nasty, a big fourth line. And their third line with Paul Stastny as your third line center. Like, I mean, that's kind of a bit of a lie because like Stevenson isn't really your first line center. Carlson is like, but the, the center core, it's it's close as well. I mean, I give the center core strictly to Dallas with Faxa playing fourth line center. Uh, you know what? Actually looking back on this, I think I might be wrong here. I might give Dallas the offense instead, especially if their big boys are going. And then you got Yanmark and Gurianov, and Gurianov is sick, man. Hat trick against us, or four goals against us. What am I talking about? Uh, in game seven and or game six, and um, you know Dickinson, Corey Perry, as much as he is like a shit disturber, he's still he's still okay. He's got okay hands, and Rupe Hintz is very, yeah. You know what? I switch up there. I give slight edge to offense and to Dallas. And, um, yeah, so now the power plays as well. Dallas is just smoking at 28.3% to whereas Vegas is 20.5. And, like, 20.5 is not a bad number for a power play. But 28.3 is crazy good. So if that pace keeps up, and I know yesterday was a one nothing win, but if their power play pace keeps up, like, that's going to cause issues for Vegas. Um, so comparing defensive cores, Vegas is Martinez and Shea Theodore. Braden McNabb and Nate Schmidt, Nick Holden, and Zach Whitecloud, compared to Lindell, Klingberg, Oleksiak, Heiskanen, uh, Hanley, who's in for the injured Stephen Johns. They also have Taylor Fadoon as an option, and uh, Andre Sakara as to round out their decor. Um, quite simply, Klingberg and Heiskanen are the two best defensemen in this series. 
you could put Shea Theodore third behind them and then it'd go to Lindell and then maybe Martinez and Schmidt. So like if you were to combine their defensive course to make a top six, your top three of your top four would be from Dallas and the others obviously from Vegas. Just having Klingberg or Heisken and you're going to have one of them on the ice for roughly 50 out of the 60 minutes in a regulation game. So you have to give the defensive um, side to Dallas. Like they have a better defensive core. And although the stats say otherwise, because they've been, they've let in 3.5 goals per game in the playoffs, but this might change because these stats were taken before game one happened yesterday. Uh, so these stats might change, might have changed a bit. But uh, when I looked at it yesterday morning, they had allowed 3.5 goals against per game, whereas Vegas had allowed 2.33. So um, while the stats say Vegas is better defensively in terms of goals against per game, just looking at the players, uh, you'd have to go with Dallas. And the PKs are – it's considerably in Vegas's favor – so 87.8% for Vegas's PK, whereas Dallas's PK is 82.3. Um, it's close. I mean, it's not close. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the high-octane power play of Dallas against the high-octane PK of Vegas. And, um, you know, this is a series. I didn't watch game one yesterday. I should probably watch the rest of the series because it's shaping up like a good one. And um, so then goaltending, they started – Vegas started flurry yesterday. I think that's just because Leonard played the back-to-back on Thursday, Friday. I would be surprised if they don't go back to Robin Leonard on Tuesday for game two. And um, Dallas, uh, like Ben Bishop, is still unfit to play. He play, he randomly plays one game against Colorado, then he's unfit to play again. He's a backup. I don't know if he was backing up yesterday or what, but it's just been really weird around that. Um, so Hudobin's been starting, and Hudobin's been really good for them. Uh, I'd expect him to, you know, get the starts the rest of the way unless he got injured or unless he just had an absolute shit show and some, led in some real softies. I'd expect him to be their their guy for however far uh, however far they go from here. And, like, you know, just comparing Leonard Fleury to Hadobin Bishop, and then, I mean, I'm not going to include Jake Ottinger because I don't think he'll play. I'd have the goalies as even. So, I mean, uh Right now, looking at it here, I gave offense to Dallas, defense to Dallas, and even on the goaltending, coaches Pete DeBoer against Rick Bonus. I mean, I give that to Pete DeBoer simply because like he went to the conference finals last year with San Jose the year before, second round. The year before was um, a first round exit, and then he had the Cup finals the year before that. So, and he's taking New Jersey to the Cup finals too. He's a good coach. I'd give him the advantage there. So, and Rick Bonus, this is his first like actual head coaching job in quite a while. Um, but yeah, looking back on it now, I said Vegas in seven, and I'm not going to change that because you know Dallas won yesterday, so I'm not going to let that influence my result. I, I'll still stick with Vegas in seven, but I would after doing this kind of more in depth comparison, I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas wins it and wins it earlier in six or five. I think they could do it, but um, I'm going to stick with Vegas in seven. So my predictions for the conference finals are Tampa in six and Vegas in seven to hopefully set up an entertaining juggernaut fest between Vegas and Tampa Bay. And I hope we get that. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because these playoffs have been pretty crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas or the Islanders also make it in. But yeah, now we'll move on to the uh, to the NBA. So just like a mid a mid round preview here, you got Toronto and Boston tied at two in the East, along with Milwaukee down three one to Miami. In the West, two games have been played in each series. Uh, the Lakers and Rockets are tied at one, and the Clippers and the Nuggets are also tied at one. So going to, we'll start at the West first. Uh, I know I I predicted both LA teams to win in five, which is entirely possible still. Um, But I would much rather prefer if they both lost. Uh, Seeing Houston play is quite fun. Their small ball 
uh, basketball is just kick out for threes. Um, it's it's pretty fun to watch, and it's it's different. And you wonder if uh, if it works, and you know if they go far further or potentially win win it all, would that be something other teams around the league would follow? So it'd be something interesting to see and something cool to witness if it did go down like that. They'd be kind of like the revolutionaries, you know, they're setting the way for something. And um, the other end, uh, watching Jokic and Murray is just a lot of fun. Jamal Murray, especially, you know, uh, I'll always cheer for Canadian guys and he's a beauty, a prime example of that. And Jokic is fun to watch too. His shots are so hierarchical and just like looks so effortless. And um, it's really nice to just watch him play and enjoy his brand of basketball. And if I'm going to be honest with you, like I'm still a little bit salty about Kawhi leaving the Raptors and going to the Clippers. So I do want them to lose. The only reason I would want them to um, go to the next round would be if the Lakers go as well, which I mean, it's more likely that we see the battle of LA in the conference finals than seeing Houston and Denver. But the Battle of LA is the only way, like, I'd actually kind of want both LA teams to to win their series right now, just because then you'd get to see Kawhi versus LeBron. And um, it'd be fun to see. It would be, it would have been way better if it was in the Staples Center with fans. But um, it'd still be cool to watch, you know, LeBron going head-to-head against Kawhi. Um Lots of people saying Kawhi is, you know, better than LeBron in the playoffs. LeBron would have a chip on his shoulder and it's too hard to bet against LeBron in the playoffs. He has not lost a playoff series that wasn't the final, the NBA finals since his last year in Cleveland in his first stint. Since then, any loss since he left Cleveland in 2010, any playoff series lost has just been in the finals. So it's hard to bet against him. I hope both of these series go to six or seven games as well. Um, it'd be awesome if the Nuggets and the Rockets can pull through. But, uh, you know, if, if one LA team wins, I want the other to win just so we get that gigantic battle in the conference final and we can see Kawhi go against LeBron. But, um, you know, if the Rockets and Nuggets can pull through, it'd be interesting too because then you'd get a small ball versus a, a lineup with Nikola Jokic in there. So it'd be pretty cool. Um Game three of Clippers Nuggets goes tonight. Um, I think I know Jokic was listed as questionable yesterday. I'm not sure what he's listed at today. So hopefully he's all good and he's in the lineup because otherwise it gives the Clippers kind of a break and a little bit more of an easier game without having one of Denver's top stars in against them. Uh, Lakers and Rockets here yesterday. It was kind of Rockets had a good third quarter and they entered the fourth with the lead, but you know, a solid fourth from the Lakers and they took it and ties the series up at one. So um, game three will be tomorrow night. And I, like, I, like I said, I hope it goes seven and I hope some way the underdogs find a way to win both series, but I wouldn't bet on it simply because it's not smart to bet against Kawhi or LeBron in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, so potentially if both series were to go seven games, um, it would finish, I think next Wednesday or yeah, next Wednesday. And, um, the conference finals wouldn't start until next week, Friday, but if the series end earlier, we can maybe get an earlier start, much like how they sped up the second round in the East and what a great segue. Cause now we're in the second round in the East halfway through it. We'll start off with the bucks and the heat, um, I'm so surprised that Miami went up 3-0. I shouldn't be, but I was. I didn't expect Milwaukee to fold like that. Um, Budenholzer is is getting exposed quite a bit. He got exposed in the Eastern Conference Final last year against Toronto, and he's getting exposed again by Eric Spolstra in the Miami Heat this year. And uh, it's funny as hell. Like he plays Giannis and Middleton 30, 35 minutes in a, in a game where they're going to go down three, nothing. And then later in, after in the game, after the game in the post interview, post conference interview, 
what was it post-match conference he says uh that's pushing the limit and then you just compare that to Nick Nurse with the Toronto Raptors in game three where we're on the verge of going down three nothing guy plays Kyle Lowry 46 and a half minutes he gets a one and a half minute rest for a 34 year old Kyle Lowry here you have Budenholzer not wanting to play Giannis or Middleton more than 35 minutes Bud is a terrible coach, man. He is so bad, and it's he's expo- his um, flaws are getting exposed, man. And I, I would truly expect him to get fired by the Bucks um, if they don't find a way to come back. You know, um, if they don't come back, he's getting fired. Giannis is probably going to be gone. Uh, you know, his contract's up next year. He's probably not going to sign the the supermax to stay with them. He'll, the rumors are his preferred destinations are Toronto and Miami, which are pretty funny because they're the two teams that are like kind of ri- that are rivals with the Bucks right now in the East. Um, so I wonder if if the Bucks lose this series, um, do they go into a rebuild? Because or do they try and run it back with Giannis one more year and with Coach Bud, or do they fire Bud? Do they do what San Antonio did with Kawhi, which is trade? Giannis to the opposite conference for one year let him run his contract out there so he doesn't hurt you directly next year and then to that way they'll also get lots of um, pieces back for him and help with kind of like a retool rebuild type thing and just kind of build the team around Chris Middleton because in my opinion they had a huge mistake last year by letting Malcolm Brogdon go they chose to keep Eric Bledsoe instead of Malcolm Brogdon and that was a mistake they should have done it the other way around. And um, I'm sure that's something they regret right now. And it's like, uh, I'd say Giannis is as good as gone if they lose. If they find a way to somehow come back, I think he'll stay. But I think he's his mind is more leaning towards leaving uh, next year. Even if they win the series, I don't think he would, um, you know, I think he'd still be more inclined to leave next year, but I don't think he'd be demanding a trade out this year. Whereas, you know, if they go out, I don't know if he is that guy with that, like the personality as well to demand a trade. But I mean, nobody really thought of Kawhi as that guy to demand a trade either, but he was unhappy with the way the Spurs were treating him and his injury. He did. So maybe Giannis is unhappy with the way things are going to go in Milwaukee because if they do get eliminated, that's two years in a row, they lose to a lower seed first of all, and that they, like last year, they lost four straight to us after taking a 2 nothing lead. This year, they haven't lost four straight, but they, you know, they lose to a lower seed that they were favored against. And if they lose in five, that's pretty embarrassing. You know, if they can make it to six, it's a bit less embarrassing, but it still is. And there's no guarantee that Giannis even plays in game five, like sprained ankle, and he was seen leaving the arena with a walking boot, I think. I'm pretty sure I saw that on Twitter. Um, so it's going to be interesting, you know, uh, what what's going to happen in that series. Either way, the memes from that series are going to be awesome because if Giannis, Giannis and the Bucks lose, the memes about Giannis leaving Milwaukee, the memes about the first seed Milwaukee losing in the second round, they were on pace, I'm pretty sure, for a 61 season. The memes the Raptors faced when they got swept as the number one seed. I hope Milwaukee gets all those. Yeah, they're not getting swept, but they're still losing in the second round. So I hope they get all those memes and, you know, we can have some fun with it. And then if you look at it the other way, if Milwaukee somehow makes a comeback, you know, wins fourth straight, that would be the first time in NBA history a team has come down from 3 nothing. And you just know the memes against Miami for giving up a three nothing lead would be the best. And um, so, yeah, either way, there's like lots of meme potential here. So it's as a neutral, it's a win win because, you know, one team's just going to get made fun of so much and the other will. And whoever wins will, you know, they'll have lots of confidence too. That's a thing. Whatever team wins this series, if Milwaukee wins four straight to come back, their confidence is sky high. If Miami wins with closes the series out within the next few games or the next game their confidence is sky high because they took out the predicted favorites from the east with the potential back-to-back mvp winner on that team so it's the memes from it are funny and just the storylines coming out of that series there's lots to talk about with that series and it'll be interesting to see how game five goes tomorrow if Giannis will play if the miami heat will finish off the series or if the Bucks will push it to a game six.
So now talking about game sixes, we have a guaranteed game six in the Raps Celtics series. So Boston goes up 2 nothing. Toronto wins two in a row. And OG, oh my baby, OG Ananobi, this guy's a beast, man. He has balls of steel. This guy's this kid's just awesome, man. I'm so happy he got that shot, missing all of last year's run because of uh, emergency appendix surgery. And he gets that moment where he, he makes a buzzer beater three and he just walks off so coolly, man, so coolly. And the, the interview after the game, too, they're like, were you surprised you made that shot? The best quote ever. I wasn't surprised. I don't shoot to miss with just his, his like, the most dead straight face ever it, that's just his demeanor man he's just so so calm and cool and collected and uh, the pass by Kyle Lowry too to get that over the seven foot five taco fall plays like that are why Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time and the way he carried the, te- the team on his back from much of game three and playing 46 and a half minutes and even in game four he is close to a triple double 2011 and seven I think or 2011 and eight something like that was pretty close to a triple double and um I just remember man that shot going in I got so hype uh bang fucking slapped my chest a couple of times you know just screamed and just let it all out there but uh, that's that's all they needed right I said it one game at a time championship mentality is a real thing and they the they proved it they proved it with that game three win and carrying over momentum into game four, and credit to Boston man in game four especially whenever the lead looked like it was getting out of hand for them and you know Toronto had chances to extend it Boston would bear down play solid defense, and they'd go back the other way make buckets to trim that lead. That's a t- their team that doesn't go away and that's why they're still scary as hell for these last three games because it's it's now best out of three. We got game five going tonight. Game six is Wednesday and game seven, a possible game seven on Friday night. So by the time this is live, it's entirely possible that this series could be over already. And um, yeah, if it is like so far, it's been a hell of a series. Like obviously as a fan of one of the teams involved, it's been really nerve wracking and you're, you're kind of like clenching your asshole a bit because you're just like so scared of what's going to happen and so nervous. And um as a neutral, though, it's been everything. Besides the game on blow, each game has been so close and so fun to watch. As a neutral, like, this is a series you would totally enjoy. And it's a completely fair 2-2 as well. Like, each team could argue it could be 3-1 for them. Like, for Boston, they're 0.5 seconds away from taking a 3 nothing series lead. And, you know, like, the chances are if that happens, that probably deflates the hell out of the Raptors and Boston ends up winning game four and sweeps, Right. But regardless, like they were 0.5 away from a, a three nothing lead, so it could have been three one for them or four nothing by now, and they could have won. And um, for the Raptors, you know, if Marcus Smart doesn't turn into prime Reggie Miller for three minutes in the fourth quarter in Game Two, if they close out with their eight point lead entering the third quarter or entering the fourth quarter in Game Two, the Raptors are up three one. That's why I'd say it's very fair that the series is tied two two and it's going to at least six. I still stick with the Raps in seven prediction because I think we will see a game seven. Um, And it's just, it's been like, this is what everybody wanted when Toronto Boston got confirmed. This is the first time they're playing each other in the NBA playoffs. And it's not disappointing. It's not disappointing at all. These are two evenly matched teams with likable players on both sides. And, you know, it's a, it's just a good series to watch. And you know, like the winner of the series is going to come out battle tested. They're going to come out strong and the loser of the series, it'll be like a respectful loser because they put out in a good fight. And I, I hope we're on the winning side, but I'm still scared as hell of Boston, man. The good thing though, is Siakam's finally attacking the paint more. He's understanding he can get whatever he wants on the inside. Like Marcus Smart's a good defender. Don't get me wrong, but when you take him down in the post, Siakam is taller than him. And Siakam can use that height advantage to get himself buckets. When they put Jalen Brown on him, Siakam still has a height advantage on Jalen Brown. Jalen and yeah, I know Jalen Brown had four fouls in the third and fourth of game four, which is why the aggression wasn't quite there on the defensive end. But it was good on Siakam for recognizing that, having the intelligence to recognize that and go after him for those buckets. And once you get those buckets, you get confidence because you see the ball going in. So then you think to yourself, okay, I can shoot it from anywhere. I can shoot it from outside. I can shoot it from inside. 
you want me to take a three, leave me wide open. I'll drain it. You want me to take a three, you're going to respect me. Come have your hand up in my face. I'm still going to make it over you. That's the attitude you get when you start to see your shots going in. And even though he, like, he went two for 13, which was abysmal, man, that's, or two for 11, which was abysmal and so bad. But um, hopefully now he recognizes, okay, I got, I can get whatever I want inside, attack the rim more often, attack the paint and get what you want, create fouls, get to the line, get those freebies. And, you know, that'll get him confidence. That'll get his three-point shot going even more. And Freddie hitting uh, threes at a solid rate too. I think it was five for 11 or five for 13 in game four. That's what we need. So over the series, the Toronto Raptors three-point percentage has gone up each game. I think it started at 22% in game one. It was like something like 25 or 26 in game two. 32% 32% in game three and then up to 39% in game four whereas the Celtics one has kind of come down a bit um I know Marcus Smart was 11 for 20 the first two games I'm not sure what he was uh, in games three and four but it wasn't as good as that for sure and um it's kind of like regression to the mean on both sides and um normally like that's something you do see in the regular season sometimes you don't see it in the playoffs because playoff series are short but it's something that as a Raptors fan, I was really happy to see. And um, I'm glad that their shooting, three-point shooting especially, has gotten a lot better as the series has gone on because that's what we're going to need. We're going to need like much of the same in game four, you know. Make your shots, play solid D. Um, it's going to be a seven-man rotation for the most part with the eighth man being either Terrence Davis, um, the second, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Chris Boucher, or Matt Thomas. Like one of them is going to come and get like, maybe three, four, five minutes towards the end of the second quarter. And, you know, so far Thomas got, I want to say games three and four, and it was Matt Thomas in game one. I know it was Terrence Davis, and they kind of used Chris Boucher a little bit. Uh, I don't think Rondé's played at all yet, besides garbage time minutes. And um, so they're going to need some bench production for sure. Serge came off the bench and had a great game last time. Uh, they're going to need more of that for sure. You have to win the bench battle. You have to win the bench battle for sure. You can't be letting Brad Wanamaker, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, the second or third. Apologize for my disrespect there to your name, Robert Williams, but um, whatever you are. And then uh, who else comes off the bench for them? I think that's it. They run nine men. Trying to think, but I think that's it. You can't be letting those four, three guys, four guys. No, there's one more guy I'm forgetting. Oh, it's going to hurt. You know what? What? We'll leave that. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting here with a blank mind for a long time. But you can't be letting the Boston bench outscore you. Uh, Norm and Serge are the two best bench players in this series, and they got to show that and prove that. Serge showed that last game. I'm going to need Norm to have one of his playoff Powell games, and hopefully the starters keep playing the same way. Um, since the start of game two, I saw this tweet from Josh Lewinberg on TSN. Uh, since the start of game two, the Raptors starting five is a plus 24 in 60 some minutes together, I think. Hold on. Let me fact check myself here just so I'm feeding correct information. But um, it's since the start of game two, our bench has been worse, or not our bench, but any combination of our bench and starters have been worse. So yeah, Raptors starters since the beginning of game two are plus 24 in 62 minutes any other five-man unit that's not their starters since the start of game two in 82 minutes is minus 19 so the starters are outperforming boston's well i can't say outperforming boston starters but when the starters are on the court together they're outperforming boston so hopefully that trend keeps up and hopefully marcus all can hit an open three for once and It'll be exciting, but it's going to be nerve-wracking. It's going to be asshole-clenching time for sure. But I, I still have my boys pulling through in seven. If they can pull through in six, I'd be happy with that too. But um, it's going to be exciting to watch later today and then on Wednesday for sure. So, yeah, an exciting second round in the NBA for sure. These playoffs have just been crazy, man. One of the best. I don't know if it's because we went without sports for four months. But uh, this is like really becoming one of the best playoffs of all time in my or since I started watching basketball for sure. One of my favorite playoffs, besides obviously winning last year. So now we shift focus to the Premier League, which starts up this Saturday, uh, September the twelfth. Uh, United don't play until 
next Saturday, September the 19th, because of the European competition they were involved in. Same with Man City. So I think Man City is supposed to open up against Aston Villa and United supposed to open up against, I want to say Burnley, but those games are postponed and will be rescheduled. Um, so predictions-wise here, uh, I guess I'll start from the bottom up. Yeah, we'll start from the bottom up here. Uh, these two teams, you know, they both got promoted. I have them getting relegated again right away. West Brom and Fulham and just looked at the signings as well. They haven't, doesn't look like they've made any signings of note that'll help keep them in the Premier League. And I just, I don't rate them that much either. And to, to tell you the truth, I don't know too much about them anyways, but just from looking at their signings and how much they've spent, doesn't look like they've done enough to help keep themselves up. So for that reason, I'm going to have West Brom at 20th and Fulham at 19th. So they will go down. The other team I have joining them that will get relegated, uh, a little bit of a shocker, um, I guess you could say, but it's uh, Crystal Palace. They ended off last season really poorly, like coming out of lockdown. I think they had won one game and then they lost six in a row. And because the seasons are so close together, there's only a six-week break. There's a high chance that the momentum from last season carries over, whether that's poor momentum or good momentum. And if Crystal Palace starts off the season the same way they started off the restart, they're going to find themselves in a hole. Especially, like, Wilfred Zaha has been rumored to leave for a while, right? He's not left yet, I don't think, as of yet, as of recording this. But if he does, what do Crystal Palace have? Um, their creative power is gone there and I think you can put him in the bin I mean Roy Hodgson's a good manager who can maybe keep them up but um, I'm going to go for a bit of a bit of a not a hot take but you know it's easy to put like another team there but uh, I'm going to say Crystal Palace in 18th um, in 17th narrowly escaping relegation for the second straight year it'll probably come down to the final game again uh, Aston Villa like the only signing they made is Maddie Cash from uh, Forest, and is that enough to keep them up? I don't know. Are they going to keep Grealish? It looks like it because I mean his price tag set at eighty million. He's not worth that really. And uh, I, I, do they have enough to keep to stay up? Is Maddie Cash the only signing they're going to bring in? And because like this is tough to do these predictions because the transfer window is still open until October fifth. So a lot of this could change. And I mean, we'll check in on these predictions probably again in January around match week 19, which will be the halfway point. And then we'll review them again at the end of the Premier League season. But these are these are just rough predictions. And I mean, for a lot of these teams too, I don't really know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm kind of just waffling here. And uh, so that's why I'm going to say Villa, 17th, narrowly escape for the second straight year. And... They've simply not made enough signings. So 16th, I put Newcastle United, and I might want to re- revise that. I made these predictions yesterday. But, um, you know, as of today, they've announced they've signed Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser. So some that's some offensive help. Both players from Bournemouth brought in Jeff Hendrick as well from Burnley. I can see them being higher. Uh, but I'll stick with them 16th because that's what I wrote down yesterday, and I can't be bothered to change it. So I'm going to stick with them 16th, but I think they'll be higher than that. Uh, in 15th, I have Leeds United. They won the championship last year. I mean, that, like you had to pick one promoted team to stay up. So I'm going to say Leeds, and we'll see what happens. You know, it's their first time in the Premier League in a long time, and uh, it'd be nice to see them go straight back down. But I'm going to have them slotted at 15th, which I think is a safe bet. I think if you if you raise Newcastle above them and so if you go Leeds, Villa, Palace, Fulham and West Brom I think that'll be a relegation battle right there you maybe include Brighton in as well who I have at 14th nice segue there um, they signed Adam Lalana from Liverpool on a free and that should help them with the offense and they ended off last season in good form too because they were in the relegation battle but they you know they got clear and they got their safety I think the second last match week, but before they weren't fighting for their lives the last match week. So I think I think they're a safe bet to stay up this year as well and keep their Premier League fight going. 13th, I'm going to say West Ham United. And 
West Ham is a team with their roster. They should be doing more. Um, you know, Susek's on a, they permanently bought him in now. He was on a loan before. Um, they, yeah, they should be doing better, but they're not. And um, it's interesting why, like, one year they, they'll maybe be in the top 10. The next year they're fighting relegation. They should be challenging for European spots. But, um, like, I don't know, it's just a weird team West Ham is. And if you're a West Ham fan, I mean, don't come at me for that. But uh, you're just, it's a hard team to get a read on. So I'm going to say 13th for West Ham. Heading into 12th, uh, I have Southampton. Um, Kyle Walker-Peters is on a permanent. They lost Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. Hope I said that right, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. And, um, yeah, James Ward-Prowse is the captain's armband now. Uh, can Danny Ings keep up his goal-scoring form? And this is the thing I'm talking about, about momentum, right? It's six weeks after the last season ended. Can he keep that going? If he can, I can see Southampton comfortably being a mid-table team. Because if you get 20 goals from a player, it's very unlikely that you're going to you're gonna struggle and battle for relegation. So if he can keep that going, I see them comfortably finishing in the mid-table. And rounding off the bottom half of the league, uh, Sheffield United. Uh, good manager in Chris Wilder. Um, they lost Dean Henderson back to United now. Uh, but they brought in Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, he's not on Dean Henderson's level, which is why I think they fall a few spots from their ninth place finish last year. And looking at what they've lost, they haven't lost too much either uh, besides Dean Henderson. So, um, you know, they got a good coach, a good discipline system, group of players that they had, they played most of their um, year with the same starting lineup. Uh, so I'd say 11th, you know, rounds off the bottom half. And, um, so I'd, I'd separate the two groups in the bottom half of the table to the relegation fighters, which, I mean, I should inc- should have Newcastle a bit higher, but uh, I don't feel like changing it now. So I'm, I'd change the relegation fighters to Brighton, Leeds, Villa, Palace, Fulham, and West Brom. Kind of the comfortable lower mid-table teams, lower, lower half mid-table teams. Um, Newcastle, West Ham, Southampton, and Sheffield. And I'd include Burnley in there, who's my 10th place prediction. They're their shithouse team with a, a shithouse manager and they got a good keeper in Nick Pope. Nick Pope had uh he was close for most clean sheets last year. I think he lost up to Ederson in the end. But um good keeper. Him or Henderson should be the England number one instead of Jordan Pickford. So hopefully we see that soon. But that's why Burnley at tenth, and I think they're in the, the same grouping with Sheffield, Southampton, West Ham, and Newcastle. So now going into, so Burnley was the first team in the top half of the table. And now I have a grouping from seven to nine. I think these are interchangeable and I wouldn't be surprised to see either of these teams finish in in seventh, eighth or ninth, like in any order, but I think they will be there simply because like last year was the year, I, I think for teams to break into the top six, especially with big six teams, such as United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea struggling, right? Last year was the year, and only Leicester was able to break into that. Wolves was, were there for most of the, most of the season, and then uh, some bad form and some bad losses allowed Tottenham to get sixth, and Wolves finished seventh. And um, so I don't think it's there for them anymore, which is why I'm going to say Wolves at ninth. Uh, I think the loss of Matt Doherty, especially to Spurs, who is a rival for the European competition, I think that hurts them. Uh, it'll be good for them, though, that they don't have – uh, the Europa League this year so no fixture congestion no squad no fatigue you know um, it allows them to keep their main first 11 fresh as long as there's no injuries and run them out week after week because they are a good team and a frustrating team to play against uh, good manager as well I have them ninth right now but I like I said I could see them seventh and I'll explain that when I get to the seventh place team so eighth place I have Everton it's their first full season under Carlos Ancelotti can they finally live up to like a bit of hype that they have from their players? They signed Allen. There's the rumor out that they're going to sign Hamas Rodriguez. So they're getting quality. Um, can they put the pieces together? They have a good manager or I don't know if you can consider him good, but like a legendary man. He's been, he's won at places he's been to in the past. So can he help propel Everton into the top half of the table, potentially fighting for uh, European competition? 
And then seventh place to round off the group, Leicester City, uh, solid squad, solid coach. You know, Jamie Hibardi can score 20 plus goals again. They'll be good to finish top half of the table and fight for a European spot. The only thing is with them having the Europa League, will that lead to um, uh, fatigue with the fixture congestion? And that's why, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they fell to eighth or ninth and one of Everton or Wolves overtook them. And uh, I know Leicester City boys from Leicester, the England boys, they're going to hear this and they might think, you guys might think I'm stupid. And I, I probably am because I don't know much about your team. Is Christian Fuchs going to take the spot of Ben Chilwell who left? Is that your new starting left back? Um, I don't know when Madison's healthy. Well, is he ready to go at the start of the season? Because he was injured for the ending of the season. The midfield's good, though, with him, Tielemans. Uh, you still have Wilfred and Didi. Jamie Vardy attacking with Harvey Barnes on the wing. You have Iosi Perez as well. Uh, Johnny Evans and Soyan Chu are good centre-back pairing. And Casper Schmeichel. So all the pieces are there. I don't know if it's Christian Fuchs starting left-back for you. I don't know. And, uh, I mean, no disrespect with this pick. But seventh, I think, is I think your best of the rest after the big six clubs. And um, the only way I see you dropping lower than seventh is if the fatigue of the Europa League and this, the fixture congestion, if you are to go far in the round of 32, round of 16, and get to knockout rounds, if that gets to you and your squad starts lacking because of squad depth, then I can see you drop lower than seventh. Otherwise, otherwise, I think seventh is there and you could be knocking on the opportunity of getting into the top six again if one of the big six teams falters. And so now into the big six, and this is uh, so I have six kind of on an island here. I feel like they're this sixth place is closer to seven, eight, nine than they are to five, four, three. And it's Tottenham. Um, Matt Doherty is a good signing, you know, replacing Serge Aurier, more reliable than Serge Aurier defensively for sure. Um, they lost obviously Christian Eriksen in the January transfer window. Um, I don't know, like their midfield, Harry Winks, LaCelso, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, who they purchased. It'll be interesting to see how they line up um, starting left back. Is it going to be Danny Rose who's returned from his loan or is it going to be Ben Davies? Um, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, their front three, Son and Kane especially, if one of them two go down again, do they have the replacements that they need in Bergwijn, Lucas Mora? Because I think Lucas Mora will be starting. So I think they'll, they need more backup. They need more squad depth, especially with them playing in the Europa League. They have to play through the qualifying round because they finished sixth and Arsenal won the FA Cup. So can they handle the fixture congestion they're going to have? Because they had lots of injuries last year, especially just watching like the All or Nothing documentary on Amazon Prime now, on Prime Video. They had lots of injuries, man. Can they handle that again? Do they have the squad depth to handle that? That's why I have them closer to the seven, eight, nine group than the top five. But um, if Son and Kane are on form, uh, and Hugo Lloris is also on form in in goal, uh, they could challenge for top four, top five. And then in fifth, fourth, third, I have a group of teams here: Chelsea, United, and Arsenal. In that order, so I have Chelsea third, United fourth, Arsenal fifth. Arsenal played really well under Mikel Arteta, man. Since he took over in December of last year, he, in all competitions, he has a record of 17 wins, six draws, six losses, a win rate of 58.62%. Um, you know, they've added Saliba. They've added Gabriel, center backs there. They've added William on a free from Chelsea. Danny Ceballos returns on loan. Their midfield's the only part, I'd say, like their central midfield's the only part. I see them lacking in. And um, I don't know if they'll bring in any other signings. You add in Saka tra- uh, taking a step forward. Same with Nketia. Aubameyang being one of the most clinical strikers there is in the league. They have a good squad and they have a good manager now, Mikel Arteta. Um, but I have them fifth because I'm going to back my boys to get top four. Uh, United, so far, have only signed Donny van de Beek. It'd be huge if we could get Jaden Sancho. I mean, we have just under a month left to try and get him. I don't know if we can, and I don't know if we will, but the 120 asking price, I think you need to pay it to get it. You need, you're going to have to pay fully that if you want him, and he's he is worth that. And it would make the squad a lot better. 
because then Mason Greenwood can go onto the bench to rotate in and out with one of the front three as well as leading the charge for the second team. Because right now your backup attackers are Dan James and Odian Agallo as out-and-out attackers. Then you include um, central attacking midfielders that can play on the wings, such as Pereira, Jesse Lingard, and Juan Mata. And, like, they're not game-changers. Whereas if you bring a Mason Greenwood off the bench in the 70th minute to break down a defense, he can do that. If Dan James can find form again, if you bring him on in the 80th minute against tired defenses to run past them, if he can find his form again, like he did at the start of last season, he can do that. But right now, only having Donny van de Beek, in my opinion, they're behind Chelsea. And then the question, too, of who's the number one keeper with Dean Henderson returning? Can he take that shirt away from David De Gea or does De Gea... Um, you know, does De Gea keep it and does he fight for his spot and show that he is still one of the top keepers in the world? Uh, also, we're miss- we didn't get the center back we wanted yet either. So there's question marks. I mean, just before recording this, I saw on the mirror, I don't know how reliable this is, but um, Alex Teas, the left back, his agent's flown into Manchester to discuss getting TST United, especially with Luke Shaw injured and Brandon Williams also injured right now. United doesn't have a fit left back. Um, they're also in, they're linked with Sergio Regulion from, I believe he's from Real Madrid. He was on loan at Sevilla, the Spanish left back. So being linked with two left backs, we're going to need one because Brandon Williams is uh, as a right-footed left back. It's not really desirable. You want to have the left-footed left back so you can get those crosses in without having to cut in. Um, so in- unless other signings can be made, I would say United finish fourth. They get the Champions League spot, but they finish behind Chelsea. And the reason they finish behind Chelsea is Chelsea has signed Ziyech, Werner, Havertz, Silva, Saar, Chilwell. They're linked with the Ren uh, keeper from the French team, Rene, Ren. I don't know how you actually say the club name, but uh, they're linked with the, their starting keeper, Edouard Mendy. And um, I'm sure he's better than Kappa. That's all they need. They need a keeper that's better than Kappa. So if they can get him, I think they're comfortably third. I, I think third, I think they break a little bit of a gap to the top two. Um, their signings are, they spent like close to 225. If they get the keeper, I think they spent close to 225 million this window alone. That includes getting Silva on a free. That shores up their center back depth. Um, Kai Havertz, Werner, Ziyech, you know, they provide them with outstanding attacking options. Ben Chilwell sorts their left back dilemma out. He's not, I don't rate him that highly, but he's better than their current options of uh, Marcus Alonso and Emerson. And yeah, if they get the keeper, I think they they narrow they close down that gap to the top two a little bit, not by not by too much, but the gap shouldn't be as big as it was last season. And now the top two, um, so I have Liverpool winning the league for the second straight year simply because they have the best starting eleven. Um, you can argue about their bench players and who they have coming off the bench and how City might have an advantage there, but they have. A better starting eleven. They have a better keeper. I think Allison is a lot better than Ederson. Center back wise, Van Dijk and Gomez is a better pairing than Laporte and Fernandinho, Laporte and Otamendi. I don't know. Are they going to play Laporte and Nathan Ake together? In my opinion, Ake is better for Man City as their third choice center back. Uh, I think Man City really need to make a move to get Koulibaly or maybe try and get Upamecano from Leipzig. But um, and Laporte's good, but uh, Van Dyke and is better, and he has a better partner in Joe Gomez than Laporte does with any of his potential partners. Apart from, I don't know if Ake will work well with him. I don't know how that would work, but I'd rather Ake be City's third choice center back. Um, fullbacks, uh, Trent is Trent and Walker is similar, but I, I'd say Trent simply because he. His uh, ball-playing ability is a lot better, and Andy Robertson's much better than whoever City has as their left-back. Mendy is terrible. I don't rate the guy at all. Zinchenko's an attacking midfielder. He should not be playing left-back. I don't know if City's going to go with Joao Cancelo there. 
but City need to get another fullback as cover. They lost out on Chilwell to Chelsea. I don't know if they were in on Chilwell, but they did lose out a potential proven Premier League left back. So it'll be interesting to see if they choose to stick with what they have or if they go to enforce, because, I mean, there's still 28 days, I think, till the window's shut. So there's still time for them to go and find somebody. And uh, the front three that Liverpool have is outstanding. City have great attacking options as well and great options off the bench. And then they have the best midfielder in the world, Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I don't know why they insist on playing Gundogan there. They have better options there instead. And the Liverpool midfield, if they can get Thiago, that would be huge for them. Getting Thiago would be absolutely huge. Um, I just I think because of Liverpool's defensive um, having that defensive edge over Man City is what gets them their second title in a row. It sucks to want either of them to win, but um, clearly United, Chelsea, and obviously like United, Chelsea, Arsenal aren't on that level to be challenging. And obviously United, the team I would love to win a title who haven't won since 2013, we're away far away from at least a couple of years and quite a few signings and with the news as well of Messi staying in Barcelona he was linked with Man City if if they had a, a got him I would say Man City would win the league without a doubt but uh no Messi means no league for them this year so um I'll, I mean I'll post a picture of the league prediction on Instagram so you can see an actual visual of it but I'll, I'll give a quick rundown right now of what it is just to end off this prediction and a lot of them are kind of lazy half-assed predictions but um might go for another one once the transfer window closes but uh most likely we'll stick with this one and we'll review it midway through the season and at the end of the season to see how far off or how close we were so uh Liverpool winning another title through other Champions League spots go to City, Chelsea and Man United Arsenal come in fifth with Tottenham in sixth Leicester Everton, Wolves, and Burnley round out the top 10. Starting the bottom half of the table, we have Sheffield United, Southampton, West Ham, Brighton, Leeds United, Newcastle United, and Aston Villa, who escape relegation, with Palace, Fulham, and West Brom going down. So that's it for this week's episode. Also, a quick... Um, Shout out to the Formula One viewers. Uh, Pierre Gasly, first ever Formula One win for him. He's uh, And shout out to the England Cousins for you guys getting me into Formula One, playing the game and watching Drive to Survive on Netflix. Formula One's a sick sport. It's fun to watch, especially when stuff like this happens. Unfortunately, I was asleep through most of it. I watched the highlights though and shout out to Pierre Gasly. He's gone through a lot in his personal life with the, you know, the promotion to Red Bull and then getting sent back to... Alpha Tauri, and then the death of his good friend Antoine Hubert, and then ends up with the win. And that's just a feel good story. You love to see it. And hopefully, we get some more good races like this to end off the season where Lewis Hamilton just doesn't storm away with the championship win or with the race win. I mean, he's going to win the championship regardless. But uh, hopefully, he doesn't storm off with all the race wins and we get some crazy wild race finishes like this that end up with new new winners so um yeah again just to wrap everything up here thank you guys so much for the support it's truly appreciated um you know share the podcast around if you if you know people that like sports like listening to sports analysis just to spread it around see how many people we can reach if you have opinions that differ with mine let me know like message me let's let's have some debates you know let's get let's get this going a bit and eventually we'll get some of you guys on here too to have talks on here about what, what you guys think is going wrong, what you guys think is happening in the sports world, just so we can kind of have that friendly debate about contrasting opinions. So, um, and yeah, if there's anything you guys want me to uh, talk about next week's episode or on future episodes, just message on Instagram like normal and, you know, we'll get to it. But um. Thanks so much for listening. This should be out on Thursday, September the 10th. A lot will have changed in the sports world by then. And the next, uh, again, every week on Thursday, we'll try to get an episode uploaded. And yeah, so thanks for listening. 
and I'll talk to you guys next week.